This is an AMI podcast. I'm Chuita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. The Arabian Nights are stories right out of a romance novel. The king of a great empire was nevertheless brokenhearted. He chose to marry a new woman every day, only to kill her the next morning. So dozens of innocent women die as a result of this. Until one day, Scheherazade, the daughter of the king's top advisor, agrees to marry the king despite her father's protests. She knows that night could be her last. When nightfall arrives, she tells the king a story. It becomes the first of a series of stories, and so storytelling saves her life. And, like Scheherzada, many people have found joy, fulfillment, and a community in the art of storytelling. Today, we discuss disability and storytelling. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to the program. I'm Jovita Gutta. A really exciting and, dare I say it, innovative program coming up for you. A few days ago in Toronto, Storytelling Toronto held a really exciting event. It was called the Storytelling Fusion Cabaret. And it was a way to bring together blind and partially sighted storytellers in a space. Some of the tellers, the storytellers, were performing in front of a live audience and others joined virtually. So it was a hybrid event. You could be a part of a small live audience or you could join over Zoom. And I attended this event and I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great if I could share just a few highlights with everybody because it was so much fun and it was so enjoyable to be a part of that conversation and to be a part of that space. So in the second half of the program, if you stick around for after the break, Will, and by we, I mean Nasreen Abdul-Majid, our technical producer, and I will take you through a couple of highlights from the Storytelling Fusion Cabaret organized by Storytelling Toronto. But before we get there, I had a chance to talk to Christine Malik, who some of you might recognize as the co-host of the podcast Talk Talk Description to Me. But Christine is also the curator and MC of the event organized by Storytelling Toronto. We had a chat a couple days back about the importance and value of storytelling for the blind community. Here's what she had to say. Well, Storytelling Toronto as an organization has been around a long time, perhaps, as long as stories have been around. And so they have a a dedicated community of tellers and listeners, and they have been motivated in the past year to kind of broaden that and to give uh, opportunity for voices that sometimes don't get heard. And in the summer of this year, they hosted uh, a, an event similar, it's another Story Fusion Cabaret, and I was invited to be a teller. And mm-hmm. so I told a story at an event that was, it was one of the first events that was live in High Park in Toronto. So it was very exciting. And mm-hmm. it was very new for me. I had not done anything quite like that before. And uh, they seemed to think that I did a fairly good job because they got interested in asking for stories, particularly from the blind and low vision community. So for people who are within that community who either are experienced storytellers or 
feel that they have a story to tell, just to give a space to voices that sometimes don't get heard as clearly as, as other types of voices. And so we, I spoke with them because I had, you know, participated as a teller. They had an informal conversation with me about the feasibility of doing it, and I got pretty excited. And so it turned into the story Fusion Cabaret, which is highlighting the, the stories and the voices of people in the blind and low vision community in Canada. Now, are the stories about the experience of blindness uh, or can the stories be about anything? The stories can be about anything. And we were very careful in our invitation to specific tellers to say this can be your own experience. You can tell a folk tale. You can uh, tell anything you want. But the guidelines, the only guidelines were we don't read because it's storytelling. And uh, it's something that's going to be entertaining or you know, in some way informative or engaging for the audience. And so each teller brings their own their own choice. So some of the stories are about someone's experience of vision loss or experience particularly as a blind person. Some of them are radically not that. Some of them are highly imaginative and have, you know, almost nothing to do with, with blindness or low vision. I know that there's a mixed bag of events. Some things uh, happen in person. Some things are happening virtually. This is a, a hybrid event. How does storytelling change depending on whether you're speaking to a virtual audience versus an in-person audience? That's a great question because storytelling as a genre is so personal and intimate. And so to put it in the context of a hybrid event is kind of challenging. And I would venture to say even more challenging for the performer because mm-hmm. part of the the fun of storytelling is the reactions of the crowd, you know, the or the laugh or the, the held breath or the, just the reactions of people that you sense in your audience. And so unfortunately for the people who will be participating, uh, one from BC and one from Ottawa, they're not going to be able to get the crowd response. And I'm very sorry about that piece because I know that performers are aching from not performing during a pandemic it's a true it's a true thing in people who are used to performing and who love it that the dynamic between the audience and the performer is a thing and they will unfortunately be missing out on that piece and so uh it's it's complicated and yet hybrid events are uh definitely a thing of the moment and a thing of the future i feel so Mm -hmm. i feel like this event is very innovative and forward-looking because I think the future of entertainment will be this this model. And do you think, and I think back to the times when I've gone to a storytelling event, and I've been to a, several, you get a combination of original stories that people have written and they come straight from the imagination, but you also get retellings of anything from children's folk tales to stories that are prevalent in other parts of the world, how much of storytelling is about what makes a good story, I suppose? Is it is it having something that's original that comes from your imagination or does it all come down to delivery? What what do you think? Mm, that's another great question. I almost feel that it's more about delivery because if you have the, I'm going to call it charisma, just for lack of a better word, if you have the ability to hold an audience and the expressiveness to engage an audience. In my experience of listening to storytellers, that's what grabs me more 
than a great story because a great story can be read and appreciated as a great story. But you can take a, a you know, a so-so story, but in the hands of a very charming or charismatic or dramatic teller, it becomes something alive. And so both elements are important, um, but for me personally, I lean more towards the demeanor of the teller and how they hold the audience by by their telling. You know, the first storytelling event I went to must have been about 15 years ago now. And the retelling of Jack and the Beanstalk oh. was absolutely electrifying. Jack and the Beanstalk. See? See? It's, it's really incredible. But one of the things I remember from those pre-COVID days, and I want to ask you about this, is how much of it is, a, is a, how much of storytelling is about a community event, not just the audience interaction, but the interaction between storytellers, uh, how you yield the space to one another or create um, synergies between stories. How does one manage that in a hybrid event like this one? That piece is a challenge. And I, as, as a self-professed sort of newbie to the storytelling community, I don't feel like I have the best basis on which to answer that. Um, but I do feel, even in the flurry of emails that's been going back and forth between us all, the tellers and the organizers, I already feel a sense of community and fun and shared purpose and shared intention and the shared excitement. So those things are always going to be real. And I think that during the event itself, there will be a really interesting playing out of how that looks. And so Will the will the remote tellers feel that in the same way? I hope so. Will we feel, mm. those of us in the space, will we feel as connected to the virtual tellers as with the people in the room? We hope so. But this is also new. The storytelling is new to me and hybrid events are new to all of us. So mm. I feel like it's a lot of uncharted territory. And I hope that that sense of rapport is something that can transcend the spatial distances between us. You're such a creative person, you singer, songwriter. You do this amazing podcast, Talk Description, uh, which I still listen to quite dutifully. But now you've ventured into storytelling. And you said you're a newbie. So tell me about what it's like to be a newbie in the world of storytelling. <laughs> it's humbling because people around me seem to have confidence that, that I'm in the right place. And at the same time, it, it feels like a bit of coming home because I'm often the one in the group where someone will say, oh, do you remember when this happened? Oh, Chris, do you remember? Like people sort of want me to tell it because I have a maybe because I've been a writer, I have a sense of how to construct a narrative in a way that's entertaining or to build up to to a punchline or something. And I've been hosting a virtual events in my work for the last 18 months during COVID. And so I've got this experience of being a presenter and a facilitator and this experience of being a writer and a storyteller on the page or on the screen, as it were. So I kind of feel like it's a lot of skills that I already had and they're being sort of distilled into this genre that I have that's fairly new to me. So of storytelling. And when in August, when I was able to participate in this event in Hyde Park, I was honestly shocked how not terrified I was. And so mm. when I was on stage and delivering my, my piece, I, I had time to breathe. I had this sense of, Yes, I'm holding the audience. They're here to listen to me. I can take my time and 
say things in the way I want to. And I was not paralyzed with terror, which was my biggest, like, what if I get up there and choke? And that didn't actually happen. So I feel much more at ease than I expected to. And I'm so interested to to keep going down this road and mm-hmm. see what skills I have and what skills I can develop. So it feels like something that I've kind of grown into, uh, you know, later in life. There, a lot of experiences <laughs> I've had in the past have prepared me to have some skills in this area and then to find the people who can help me to, to grow and to learn more. And I find with storytelling and storytellers, once you get into it, you stick you stick around and you tell stories for years to come. It is a very captivating field. And not only in, you may not be a storyteller, but you may be one of those people that ends up going to these events for years on end. Why is yeah. it that even though we have things like YouTube and Netflix and an overabundance of stories in so many formats, what is it about this traditional storytelling cabaret that has made it persist through thick and thin and a pandemic? Oh, that's such a great question. I I think about this a lot and I feel as though there's an innate desire for us to flex our imagination muscles. And so you could sit with a an audio book or, you know, an audio book maybe not the best example. You could watch TV or a described movie or you could get all that content handed to you so that you don't have to process quite as much. But I think that for for blind people and for sighted people, there's still, uh, it's like the way we want to move our bodies every day. We need to get up and move. I think our imaginations are like that too. So that to have a venue where you're given some of the things, but not all of the things, and you can, your imagination can fill in the gaps. And I also think there's this, like, you know how the smell of, of a wood smoke fire, you just go, and you kind of instantly feel a bit mm. comforted. And I think there's this atavistic, instinctive thing to sit around with other human beings in a, in a small group and to share an experience just by listening to someone talk. So I feel like it's that kind of smell of smoke is the reassurance of warmth and, and food deep in our genes, you know, and so I think that that's sort of true for stories as well, that to hear someone sharing an experience or some wisdom, it has an instinctive draw that we were human beings congregate, that's what we do. And so I think there's just an instinct there that pulls us towards that. And we all lived happily ever after. Christine, thank you very much. It was great to have you with us today. Thank you so much. It was fun. That was Christine Malik, the curator and MC for the Storytelling Fusion Cabaret. Welcome. I'm holding my arms open in a welcoming gesture, which reminds me of a story. It's a short story. Um, my mother-in-law was coming to visit from BC. And at the time, my partner was working. And so I said to my mother-in-law, I said, when you get in the cab at the airport, text me. And so I know when to expect you. So she did that at the appropriate time. I got the text. And I, I waited about half an hour later when I, you know, she was going to arrive. Uh, there's a knock on the door. So remember, it's my mother-in-law. My hospitality is dialed way, way up. So I, I go to the door. I scamper to the door. I pull the door open wide. I hold my arms up. I say, hello, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. How was your trip? Please come in. Make yourself at home. And there's this awkward pause. And this unfamiliar woman's voice says, you were expecting someone else, weren't you? And I said, yes, I was. She said, I'm with the Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> She's holding out the watchtower. They don't come to, the Jehovah's Witness, they don't come to our house anymore. <laughs> it's under the, the hashtag blind problems category. 
Well, hello and welcome back to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Joetha Gupta and that right there was Christine Malik welcoming everybody into the storytelling fusion cabaret with a really funny story about a blind moment. We're going to bring you a couple of highlights and by we, I mean my partner in crime, someone with whose identity is well known across this station, Nisreen Abdul-Majid is our technical producer. Hi, thanks for uh, joining me today. Thank you for having me and making me part of this exciting, exciting episode. Well, listen, we've got a couple of really exciting stories as part of this event. Now, unfortunately, we can't share all of it, right? But we can share some of it. And there are, Nisreen, a number of really familiar names that came up yesterday. Kim Kilpatrick. Ramia Amutin. We've heard of Ramia, of course, from Kelly and Company and the, also hosts the book review show with you. And Amy Amanti, who hosts a podcast and does other amazing things on AMI. And Amy's story, Nisreen, is, goes something like this. She's basically writing in her diary about the experience of being a blind woman taking public transit. And this is a quite a typical experience for Amy and for other blind people. And she has this very typical experience of having a nosy busybody who is a fellow passenger ask her all of these intrusive questions about how did you go blind? What's your vision like? And once that can of worms has been opened up, Nisreen, let's have a listen to how the rest of this interaction goes between Amy and a random stranger on the bus. I mean, I don't ask somebody on the bus why they're bald or they're fat. One would never do that to a stranger. But here we go again with yet another discussion that invades my privacy. But I just can't seem to get away from it. I guess I need to have a better resting bitch face. So the smattering of questions continues. How do you have sex? Wait, what? Did I just get asked that? Again, by yet another random stranger who thinks that we are besties sharing a bottle of wine and a gossip sesh about our sex lives? <laughs> how bold. If I had been smarter in that moment, I would have asked her how she has sex. My brain is running a mile a minute, but not wanting to be rude or mean, I try and think about how I can change the subject. Why can't I just say to her, that's none of your business, or piss off, or switch to a different seat if there were any that I knew were available. What an entertaining bus ride. I bet they go home and tell their parents and their partners and their children and their colleagues what happened on the bus today. I bet I'm a part of dinner conversations all over the city. While I am processing and trying to think of the best response I possibly can in this moment, she follows up with a cheeky, almost giddy, girly giggle. Do you like it with the lights off? <laughs> or does it actually matter to you? Next, she's going to ask me if I have a mirror on my ceiling and if I need to have things described to me in the bedroom. How ridiculous. I stir, but before I can respond, she announces, oh, this is my stop. I am relieved. It's almost over. One more minute. Take a breath. You can handle it. It was so lovely chatting with you. I hope we run into each other again sometime. Erg, I don't. I scream loudly in my head. Have a really lovely day, she says through her smile as she departs feeling really good about herself for engaging with the poor, unfortunate blind woman on the bus who needed a bit of girl chat on her way to work. This bus is packed, but not a sound can be heard. Wow. I have certainly had things like this happen to me on the bus or when I'm riding the train. What about you, Nisreen? Does this story resonate with you at all? 
so relatable in so many different ways. I do have a invisible disability, but when I do surgeries or things like that, and I uh, started to use a cane recently, I have been asked so many questions, uh, stared at, asking if I work. That is something that I got asked quite a few too many times, how I put makeup on. I feel like they're arrogant questions sometimes and you don't realize that they don't know, they don't know enough, they're not educated enough. But I, I'm curious, how about you? Yeah, I've had questions like this asked to me. I've uh, started to either put my cane, my white cane away so it's not visible. And then um, I also try to look busy. So I'll keep my phone uh, and I'll be looking through my phone or just, you know, looking like I'm the most unfriendly person on the bus. So you don't approach me with random questions. It's a really annoying reality. But nonetheless, part and parcel of the blind experience. Now, one of the nice things about the storytelling cafe is being so close to the holidays, Ms. Reen, there had to be at least one Christmas story in there. And we got a great Christmas story from Valentina Gale, who is well known in Toronto, but maybe not as well known across Canada. Great storyteller. And this particular story is about a seven-year-old girl called Larissa. And Larissa is blind. She's Ukrainian. And she's attending the family Christmas party or the company Christmas party with her parents and her sighted brother. At the point where we start to listen to the story, Larissa's going right up to that Christmas tree to have a you know, nice close look at it. Because people do that when they're low vision. They like to go up close and take a look. And guess who catches sight of Larissa? It's Mr. Melnick, who's the boss of the company. Let's find out what happens to Larissa next. Suddenly, she felt somebody watching her. A voice said in Ukrainian, uh, you know Gregory and Barbara. The other person acknowledged. Well, this is their blind daughter. She's home from the government school for the holidays. I'm not little, snapped Larissa, and my name is Larissa. Mr. Melnick, which now she recognized from the microphone, chuckled. <clears throat> Don't you know that you shouldn't talk about somebody in another language while they're standing there, she said. Mama says it's rude to do that. Mr. Melnick laughed. Of course, she's right. You have a very smart mama and you are a very smart girl. So what else can you do besides speak Ukrainian so well? Hmm. I can sing, she said. Show off, said Simon. Can you, he said. Wouldn't you be afraid? Ukrainian girls are never afraid, she said, sticking her chin out. Simon groaned. Well, would you like to sing for us, said Mr. Melnick? Would you like to sing for St. Nicholas? I could try, she said, but I need a microphone. So Mr. Melnick took her by the hand and followed by Simon, they walked up to the stage and Mr. Melnick picked up the microphone. Into it, he said. Some of you may know Gregory and Barbara. This is their blind daughter who's come home from the boarding school that's run by the government. She wants to sing for St. Nicholas. Thank you, said Larissa. She pushed back her shoulders and fingered the red velvet flowers on her white dress. The hall hushed. 
I think I'll try what child is this, she said. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. She got lost in the beautiful Green Sleeves tune. Her voice squeezed, squeaked a bit on the first chorus, but as she went on, she felt the wonderful force of the music and forgot everyone. Then she was finished and the hall erupted with applause. Well, said Mr. Melnick, you really can sing. How old are you? Seven, she said. Seven years old and you can sing like that? Thank you, sir. Hold out your hand, he said. She tentatively held out her hand. Count to seven, he said. One, two, three. And as she counted, silver dollars, cool silver dollars chimed into her hand. Thank you, sir, she said. Larissa, never stop singing, said Mr. Melnick. You have a special gift. It is God-given. What a nice story, eh, Nasreen? Mm-hmm. Very nice. It is very nice. Unfortunately, I'd love to have gotten some reaction from you, but I'm just looking at the old hourglass and our time is ticking away. So, Nasreen, thanks a lot for chatting with me about some of these stories. Thank you. All right, what you're hearing in the background is the beginning of the Edmund Fitzgerald, which is a song that was performed at the event by Ramya Amuthan and Christine Malik. I'd like to thank Storytelling Toronto and Christine Malik for all of their support putting this program together. Nisreen Abdul-Majid is my wing woman, as well as the technical producer for this program, and our manager is Andy Frank. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and enjoy the rest of your weekend. With a load of iron or 26,000 tons more than the Edmund Fitzgerald Wade. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.